recording is launching. Make sure it's all working here and then we will get going. Okay, we are ready to go. All right, everybody, welcome. Happy Wednesday. Um, I'm so excited to be hosting you guys again. My name's Meg. I'm part of the Power to Fly Chat and Learn team. And I am really excited to get started with uh, who, a, a person who is a very, like, you know, one of my favorite uh, guest speakers, <laughs> Kelly Kugler. Um, super excited to get you guys introduced to her, especially if you've never attended one of her chats before. Um, but we do just have a couple of real quick housekeeping items to go over. So um, stick, you know, bear with us for a couple more, a uh, couple minutes or so, and then we will get started. So um, the biggest information I have for you, whether this is your first chat or your 50th, is that like all of our other events, today is all about you. It's all about our participants and making sure that you get as much out of today as we put into it. So to that end, we very highly encourage you to participate. You can turn on your cameras and come off mute if you have questions or comments that you'd like to add or clarification if we are you know, going through one of your questions. Um, the one thing I do have to tell you is that if you do come off mute, you will show up in the live recording. If you don't come off mute, whether your camera's on or off, you will not show up in either the stream to our website or the live recording that's gonna be posted to our website and then to YouTube. So just as a heads up. Now, if you have privacy concerns or something completely understood, but you can still participate, um, you can write um, any kind of questions or comments that you might have into the Zoom group chat. And if you wanna keep you know, even more of a low profile um, and you want your comments or questions raised anonymously, not a problem. Just make sure you send them to me, Meg Alexander, from the drop-down in, in the Zoom group chat instead of sending them to everyone in the Zoom group chat. And I'll make sure that your question or comment is raised and you are kept anonymous. Um, like I just sort of talked, talked about, we are recording today's session. So whether you come for five minutes, if you stay for the full 60, or even if you registered and don't actually show up to today's session, you are going to get a, an email from us in one to two business days with a link to rewatch today's recording. Now, that is really great information and something you should know about because if there's a, a chat and learn coming up that you want to make sure that you don't miss, feel free to register for it even if you know you can't attend during that session. That way you'll get the rewatch link and you'll know as soon as it's happened so you don't have to work real, try and remember, oh yeah, there's that chat happening in two weeks. So in three weeks, I have to remind myself to go back and watch the recording. So please go ahead and do that. Um, you can do that. I do it now for even for chats that I'm not hosting, but chats that I want to like sit in on later on. So the other thing that you can do, and I really encourage you to do, is to keep up with us on social. You're more than welcome to take video or audio um, recordings while we're um, while we're um, you know presenting today. So you can share and, and post pics and tell people that you're learning with Power to Fly this afternoon. Um, we are at Power to Fly is our handle on I think every social media platform: uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. <laughs> You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is at Power to Fly. That is another great way to make sure that you don't miss any, um, any upcoming chat and learns, office hours that we host, any panel discussions, any of those things. Um, it's just a great way to make sure that you don't miss it and you get a, a nice little notification when we go live. Um, so as we get started today with Kelly, I'm really happy to introduce her because now I've got her, uh, her introduction pretty much down to a science. <laughs> so. Kelly Kugler is, has made some big changes across her career. From relocating across the US and to Europe while working in global recruiting, she le learned the essentials for a successful transition along the way. These shared experiences allow her to help others manage similar opportunities and navigate the process of these transitions. 
Kelly is the founder of Allura Collective. Along with her team of coaches, she works with people one-on-one to explore their options for a career change or relocation, whether developing their strategy, presenting themselves effectively, or speaking with confidence to design their world. So thank you so much, Kelly, for spending time with us today. Um, Add to that introduction? No, I I think you nailed it. I think maybe I should bring you along on other meetings and you can, you know, save me, save me my intros. But it's nice to see everybody. Um, I don't know if this is the fifth or sixth uh, chat and learn I've done with Power to Fly. Um, I love the organization. I love that we offer these things for free. I love the questions. Uh, I couldn't agree with Meg Moore. I think as wonderful as it is when we have, you know, over 100 people at an event, which we've had a few times. I love when we have smaller groups like this. Like right now I see around 23 participants. So please do feel free to come off mute. I would love for this to be as conversational as you're comfortable with. That's what it's here for. Uh, And if there's anything here we don't discuss or you uh, have more maybe confidential or private concerns, uh, I do offer free strategy sessions through Allura Collective, which are 30 minute sessions. You can book that with me, my fellow coach, Jill. Uh, and keep an eye out in the next week because I just added another coach with a different specialty. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to be here. My links to connect are in the chat. Please do connect with me. Uh, and, and I'm really excited well. to help you guys out. Yeah, let's help huh? somebody. <laughs> Yay. All right, so to get us started here, I have two slides of questions. Please feel free if you want to, you don't have to. Um, take a screen grab of this slide and then there's gonna be another slide with our second set of questions. Um, What we've done is we've compiled all the questions that you guys submitted um, prior to today's chat. We tried to um, kind of, you know, remove redundant ones and organize them into a bit of a conversational format. However, if you are on today's session, we absolutely, I'm going to switch to the next slide now, so take your screenshots if you want. Um, We absolutely encourage you to um, come off mute to ask your question or put your question in the chat. So, the one thing I will say that I, I kind of skipped over on housekeeping is if you're going to come off mute to ask a question or comment, not a problem. We absolutely welcome it. Just make sure of a couple things. Please don't interrupt either Kelly or any of the other attendees. I am fair game because I get paid to fill the silence. So please feel free to interrupt me to ask questions. <laughs> um, and once you are done actively speaking, make sure you put yourself back on mute. I'll be doing the same thing as I ask questions or you know moderate a little bit. Um, but I make sure that I go back on mute to maintain audio clarity for the rest of our joiners, um, as well as make sure that the recording is, um, you know, a nice clean audio for people to listen to, because we have recently started releasing our chat and learns as podcasts. So, um, as we go through that, if I, if I happen to mute you, it's not a rebuke. You can absolutely still come off mute to ask a question. It's just to maintain audio clarity. If maybe you have like some background noise, like I've got two bulldogs sleeping under my desk and no one wants to hear that snore the whole time. So um, we can get started with one of our first questions, but like Kelly said, please, please, please feel free to jump in if you have questions, comments, or anything else you want to add. Kelly? Meg, I'm going to mute for a second because I hear a gardener, so I'm going to close my windows. Just give me two seconds. Uh, California. Take your time. So while Kelly's doing that, I am also going to be sharing a couple different links with you guys. Um, so it's the first one is links where you can connect with <laughs> Kelly on, our, uh, on her various uh, is that good? Can anyone hear websites? like a chainsaw gardener now? Nah, you should good. be gone. Okay, good. So I'm sharing Very some good. links now so people can connect with you. Um, Beautiful. And as we get started here, we'll get started with the first question that's in our deck. So this Great. person writes in saying, I've been stuck in the thanks but no thanks cycle for months, and I want to find a way to get noticed by an employer to get that first interview. I feel like I'm missing something, but I don't know what. 
Great question. So uh, if you're in the audience, feel free to uh, come off mute and talk about it. Some of the questions are rather general. So I would have, I guess, kind of, I guess, diagnostic follow-up questions for you to really figure out what's going on. Uh, I would say if you're just uploading to career sites, then you really need to look at LinkedIn in terms of either adding new people or reactivating your network and asking for introductions and referrals. Even if you apply, you should still be asking someone for an introduction or a referral, right? If you go on Allura Collective on the blog, I have a blog post about it with a free download where I have six job search message templates that are kind of fill in the blank that will walk you through different scenarios of what and how to ask. Very quick, two small paragraphs. So for example, if you're applying for the job because it's been open for a while or there are a lot of applicants and you don't want to get cut out, so you upload your resume, if I was your coach, I would still expect you to go on LinkedIn and find whoever you can and say, hey, I just applied. I don't want to get lost in the inbox. Can you let me know my status or can you introduce me to the recruiter? And when you use LinkedIn, the thing about LinkedIn as a people place is that it's not only the people that are your first connections, it's the second connections. So for example, just because, uh, you know, I'm gonna use Meg as an example. So if Meg was looking for a job, let's say at Slack, and she didn't know anyone there, she had no first connections at LinkedIn. If she went on LinkedIn and she was connected to me, then I would show up under the name of an employee at Slack who's a second connection to her. Does that make sense? When you go to the company page, when you go, say you went to the Slack company page, on the top right, in bold black, it would say your connections at the company. If you don't have any connections, it's not there. Underneath that, in bold blue, it says see all employees. You click that link and it will give you a list of the employees at Slack. Then you go into the dropdown at the top that says connections and select second connections. That's who you know who knows someone at that company. So if I was coaching Meg, I would expect her to ping me, send me a message, hey Kelly, I'm really interested in this role at Slack, I just applied, is there any way you could help me with an introduction so I don't get lost in the inbox? Now, that's if the job has been open for a while or there are a lot of applicants, like at a, a company at Slack, there's probably you know, 50 applicants in two days. If you have time and it just opened up and there aren't a lot of people in the inbox, ask for the introduction first but don't wait too long for a reply. It used to be three to five days. In the last month or two, I've now shortened my advice to two or three days. If you're worried about harassing people, I understand it, I don't really care. If they don't get back to you, they don't get back to you. If two, three days go by, you send a follow-up, hey, I'm just checking in on my message. If you have another person that you could ask, I expect you to ask the second person on the list that same day. You only need one person to, to reply. So you're either asking, for an introduction, which is, I know this person, they're not a serial killer, can you help them not get lost in the inbox? If it's someone you know, that's a referral. Internal employees will get an employee referral bonus if you get the job. Why not help them? Maybe they make some money, good for them. Some people may not be comfortable with a referral, so in your message you can say, if you could help me with a referral, or if you're not comfortable, just an introduction to someone so I can stay out of the inbox. Does that make sense? Uh, there could be other reasons. It could be that your resume isn't connecting with the jobs. I find some folks get resume advice where, you know, like I've had people ask me, hey, can you edit my resume? 
I don't, I don't like doing resume reviews unless someone gives me a target job description or a company to edit towards. If you do not know your audience, then what are you writing for? So even if it's a job that expired, even if it's a job you got rejected from, if that's what you want, then hold it up next to your resume and look at it and go, if I saw this resume, would I call this person to learn more? Does it connect? If you're struggling to connect those dots, go on LinkedIn and do a people search for the person with the title of the job that you want. Find a few of them, look at how they describe what they do and make sure that that language is in your resume. The first person that looks at your resume is usually a recruiting assistant, a coordinator, or unfortunately it's an ATS, which they love talking about how these systems can, you know, filter candidates, but all they're doing is keyword searching. They can't read between the lines like someone like me could, right? I don't look at someone's gap in a resume as a problem. I look at the transition they made before and after and where they can go with it. A machine can't do that. Does that make sense? So uh, I, I got a little off and it was kind of a full answer and I think I probably answered like four or five questions in one, uh, but it's difficult to diagnose without knowing your situation and I hope within what I just offered, uh, there are some tips and tricks to, to help you, uh, to help you push through that uh, and, and get that attention that you're looking for. Not off track at all. Actually, it's a really good lead into our next question. So this person had asked, what are your best tips for making your resume stand out? Are there certain keywords that gain more traction than others? So I remember a couple of years ago when I was redoing my resume, like three, three or four years ago, I was told to make sure that your resume um, kind of mirrors the job description and whatever action words they use in the job description to make sure that you use them in your resume. Outside yep. of, if that tip is still valid, Outside of that, like, are there specific keywords that you want to either use or stay away from? Yeah, um, I'm wiggling because when I hear job description, I hear HR and I also hear wish list. So from all of my years in recruitment, from thousands of hires, not a single hire was a match for a job description completely. You're either a little to the left or a little to the right. We have a debate tonight, so politics is on my mind. So it's left and right today um, instead of this way or that way. Uh, if you have 60% or more, go for it, have at it, right? How you make your resume stand out. Yes, the keywords are important. Yes, the job description is a good template for where it should lead, but an even better, more specific template is the person who's in the role, either at that company or their competitor. So you can use LinkedIn and use that leverage of how other people that are in the job you want describe yourselves, uh, describe themselves to find even more niche jargon. So for example, I was reviewing a game design job description the other day uh, and the job description used the words, you know, balance of the game. So I called a friend who's a specialist and he said, nobody in gaming would ever say that. They would just say game balance and this is why. So that, those are the little cues sometimes you, that in job descriptions can be a little broad. Remember also a lot of job descriptions and you can sometimes tell they've been regurgitated from years ago. You know how many hiring managers were like, this is what we used last year. Not every recruiter has the time. When I got to NFL, I interviewed every single engineer and team, and then I rewrote all the job descriptions because I was not looking to waste my time with something templated from HR. So your version of that, if you don't have access to the actual interviewers, is you can look at their LinkedIn profiles and see how they talk about their work to identify other key phrases, other things that are SEO that would make sense for you. You'll also more than likely find language that describes what you've done 
You just didn't think about it. And it's no big deal. It's the same thing as sampling music. People use music from the 70s all the time and put lyrics. LinkedIn and use other people's profiles to update the style of your resume and how you talk about yourself. Like the answers are out there. It's just sampling. Absolutely. Um, Cheryl is coming in to the chat saying that she's been told never to apply to a job unless you're a 90% fit or else you'll be discarded by the ATS. Now that's entirely possible within an ATS search. However, think about what that means from the other side. That means that they are disqualifying so many people that would maybe be really great fits for this job. So they have a yeah. really yeah. narrow view of what they want. Is that really the kind of company that you want to work for? that's only going to accept success or applicants or new ideas if they look exactly like what they want them to look like. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, it's only my opinion. So take it with the grain of my experience and only my opinion, but that really, that really makes me mad that that's advice that's being given out. I don't think that that's fair. You're not applying to work with an ATS. You're applying to work with people. If you have 60% or more, you should be going after that job and you should be going after introductions and referrals and you should be working your network. These people that are in the jobs that you want and at these companies, follow them on LinkedIn. And when they write something great you agree with, comment on it, get active with it, start going that route. Because if, if, if these folks are only, if they're only gonna hire, use an ATS to hire someone 90% fit, then I don't think they're getting a real resume. That's gonna get hacked. There's going to be someone that says, I'm going to write the right keywords, but then when they get to the interview, they likely don't really match that well. And the other thing about job descriptions is, remember, whatever a company says about how they write their job descriptions, it's their attempt to articulate what they think they need. What they actually need and what they want depends on the chemistry of the people that they meet. And if they're only looking and they're only picking interviews for the next step based on a 90% uh, match and they're letting a machine do the work, they're losing out on so much good talent. And that also sounds like a very large corporate company. Could I see a, a big system like a Google or something like that doing that? Yeah. Do I want to work for them? No. It's very corporate to change their numbers and move toward diversity and other things is going to take a lot of work because they're so big. I personally like small to mid-sized companies. I like balanced teams. I look for the people I want to work with. That's how I would play that. So again, it's only my opinion, but personally, what do you have to lose? And if they're going to reject you and you don't have 90%, what if that one person you reach out to says, yeah, I get it. I didn't have everything either. Maybe they identify with what you're going through. Maybe you see that in their profile and say, hey, I'm making a career switch like you did. I also came from graphic design and I'm going into UX design. I just applied for this job. Would you be able to introduce me to the recruiter so I don't get lost in the inbox? All right, so we're actually I, getting a couple more questions in the chat too. Sure. Um, so a lot of people are asking about, is there a way to even know if the company is using an ATS or how to avoid discrimination, um, especially if some of your experience and skills are from 20 years ago? Yeah, pretty much all of them are going to use an ATS. So whenever you apply, like even LinkedIn is considered an ATS if you apply through it. It's an applicant tracking system. All it means is there's an application that took your resume. And they can mark whether you were rejected or passed. Like it's really nothing 
they talk about it being evolutionary from, you know, the old Taleo days to greenhouse to now we have lever and other things. It's the same thing. It just has different buttons. Like, to be honest with you, the functionality, they're never going to be able to source soft skills or emotional intelligence or potential screening keywords. At least I haven't seen it yet. Uh, so pretty much every company I would say probably does uh, have an ATS unless it's like a startup that says, you know, email careers at this company, like send us an email, then maybe they don't. Uh, but the larger companies will use those systems like a greenhouse uh, to filter candidates. So that is possible. And there's not really much you can do about that. Um, in terms of age discrimination, discrimination of any sort sucks. And I would love to eliminate it completely um, on the age thing. Uh, you don't, I, I would say, you know, I'm 43, so I've got a long resume too. If I was concerned about it uh, and I thought that was an issue, perhaps I would test a version of my resume that didn't have the year I graduated college that, uh, you know, maybe I don't show every job I had since I graduated university in 99. Maybe I only show um, the last 10 years. And you can also say, I have a short form resume. Plenty of people use a one pager. Maybe you test a one pager that's either showing more only your recent experience, but actually more importantly, your relevant experience. Because as much as we feel like our whole career is relevant, we can usually edit so that we're showing what's exactly relevant. And I have a blog post about a master resume on alorocollective.com blog uh, that talks about a master resume, which is basically a word vomit of everything you've done. So if you have a 20 year career like I do, it could be six, seven, eight pages. And the way that you use that is you put your word vomit on it, right? Don't worry about what it says, just get everything on paper. And then when you're applying for the job, put it next to each other, make a copy of the master and delete whatever doesn't exactly go toward that job. They don't need to know. If they want it, you can always say, I have a long format resume if you wanna see it. There's nothing. Awesome. Thank you. That's for like sharing. a restyling. It's like putting on the right outfit for the event. You don't have to wear every accessory. Very good point. And um, remember the job of your resume is to get you the next call. That's it. It's not to qualify you for the entire job. It's to qual it's so that when someone reads it, they say, I want to learn more and I want to talk to them because yeah. once you're in the interview, it's a whole different game. The interview is like the feature film. The resume is just a trailer. Very but true. it has to make you want to see more. Yeah. Um, I did see there were a couple people in the chat that had questions about the, the 20 or, you know, if you, if you have like a long um, yeah. work kind of thing, I would very much encourage you to check out the link that I just put in the chat. Um, it's to a specific search in our, our past chat and learns um, that you can check out on some of the ageism panels that we've hosted. Specifically, anything that Helen Sanchez has done, I've hosted, I think, all but one of her panels or her um, chat and learns and office hours. She has some great tips for people who have questions about, especially when you're either re-entering the workforce for like returnships, that kind of thing, or if you feel like ageism might be, might play a factor in either your career or your job search. So please feel free to check those out, guys. Very cool. Thank you, Meg. That's a great share. No problem. I, I see a question week in the chat from yeah, uh, Lisa that I can uh, pretty much wipe really quick. Uh, so for yes. anybody that that's listening in but doesn't have the, the view, sorry, of the chat. Yeah. Lisa is asking, um, I've been told that my formatted PDF resume did not track in their ATS system and I sent a follow-up plain text format. 
Can you recommend the format to submit so that it's not filtered out? So even if you send a Microsoft doc, which I call like the ugly resume, where it's just top to bottom, you know, your education's at the bottom, there's nothing fancy in there. Even if you upload it to some of these ATSs, it still doesn't parse correctly, right? They're not designed to do that. So if you have, you should have a PDF pretty one, a one pager that has some style to it. You definitely should have that, but that's not the one you use to upload. You upload the mic, the ugly one, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever, if it's in Microsoft Word or something else, no offense to Word, you upload the ugly one and then you attach the PDF wherever they let you send an attachment. Usually it says if you want to attach a cover letter or something else, that's where you put the PDF. The PDF, which is the styled one, which is pretty, that's the one that you're going to send in your uh, LinkedIn messages with a mini cover letter or an email or to any connection when you're asking for an intro or a referral because you want them to see it locked. That's the whole purpose of it. So have two. You have an ugly, which could be, you know, the master or whichever one you play with to edit. And then you have uh, the stylized one. And as you're playing around and editing with these, keep in mind, guys, there's nothing wrong with saving an, an extra copy of whatever you sent. So that way, you know, if you do get an interview back with, you know, client, like, um, you know, company three of like the seven you applied to, you can know while, while you're on that phone interview or video chat or whatever, you can know exactly which copy of their, of your resume they're looking at. But also it's so that if you're applying for similar jobs later, but it's like, you know, kind of a fit, but not quite, you can then go back and instead of starting from your base resume again, start from what you had edited for, you know, company three and then tweak it. So it fits now for company, you know, 15 or whatever you're applying for. All right. So uh, we got a lot of questions in the chat um, and as well as pre-submitted. Um, this person had asked, how should you follow up with a contact that you found through LinkedIn who works in a company or org that has an open position that you're interested in? I don't seem to be getting much response for my connection requests or my LinkedIn messages. And we talked about this a little bit earlier and you said basically like, don't be afraid to kind of harass people. But where is that line between being tenacious and actually like coming off unprofessional or something? Yeah, I mean, it's a personal line. And it's also a matter of what you're saying in the message, right? And that's why I wrote out the templates. Um, I've had, if someone sends me a, a LinkedIn message and it says, hi, how are you? And I've never met them and I don't know them, I don't answer. Like personally, LinkedIn is for work. And that's not building a relationship. If someone sends me a message and says, hey, Kelly, I saw that you're connected to Meg and I'm really interested in the job at Power to Fly. Would you be willing to make an introduction to me? If you're not comfortable, no problem. Let me know. Thanks so much. I can answer that in two seconds. No big deal. And that's also short enough that I can put it in the note of an, of a, an invite to connect. So you want to keep it quick, simple, to the point, right? There is a line between, I guess, being aggressive. Um, but I think that's personally, I think that's a, I think that's a personal line. You know, I, I think it's up to us. I think if you're clear about what you're asking for, then you're not wasting someone's time. I think it's more offensive when, or more, maybe not offensive is not the word. Um, maybe more frustrating when folks don't tell me what they need. Because in the midst of going through all my messages, going back and forth to figure out the mystery of why you're reaching out to me, it doesn't help me. You know what I mean? So help me help you. Tell me exactly what you need. No problem. And if you feel weird about asking, then put an offer at the end of the message. Thanks so much for considering this. And please let me know 
if I can return, if I can do the same for you, I'm happy to make introductions in my network for you or someone, you know, I used to call that like a Jewish guilt thing, the way my mom still reminds me of things I did when I was a kid. Um, so if you feel weird about the ask, you can make an offer. If they don't answer in a few days, you can follow up. If they don't answer, move on to the next. When That's you a do really that good flag, Kelly. And I mean, a highlight for that, for like what she just said for people, like if you tell them what you want, you might not get it, but at least they know the direction that you're headed in. So it's a lot easier for them to say yes to you. And if they don't want to introduce you, but maybe they, you know, say, okay, well, I, I can't introduce you, but like, you, this is a, a different person that maybe you should get to know, you know, they might, it might be like partway to what you had asked for, but it's still better than nothing. And if you can identify the person you want to speak to even better. Hey, Kelly, would you mind introducing me to Amanda? Sure. Obviously, that's the connection. You know, the easier it is for someone to do it quickly, the easier it is for them to help you. Make it convenient, right? And also keep in mind, if you have options of people to ask, anyone outside of recruiting in HR is eligible for an employee bonus, for a referral bonus if you get hired, if they offer one. Recruiters in HR are not. So try those bonus folks first. And if they don't answer in two days, try someone else. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. So you had kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but this person had written in asking um, for strategies on how best to reframe past experiences to enter into a new field. Yeah. So you talked about how like career breaks don't really concern you. It's more about like how you pivoted or what you did before and what you're doing after, right? Yeah. It's all about making that connection. So whatever you want to call it, you want, you could call it a through line. You could call it, um, I used to call it something else of the day and I'm blanking right now, but for the sake of time, your previous experience is the foundation of what you do next. There has to be a connection to it. It is, I can't recall a time that I worked with someone over all these years where there was no connection to their pre, of their previous experience to what they want to do next, right? And when you make those kind of connections, it also helps you stand out more as a candidate for the next role that you want to do. And it gives you some leverage to ask for more money higher up in the range. Let me give you an example. Uh, when my, after college, I was in creative services, like print production and graphics and stuff like that for about 10 years. And when uh, I pivoted out of that and I went into recruiting, uh, staffing firm recruiting, I went into, I started at creative and marketing recruiting. Why? Because all of my previous clients were already in creative and marketing. So it was the same network different ask. Instead of, do you have an event we can do or retouching, or is there an ad release we can work on? It was, hmm, let's talk about a new job, right? Uh, there are other things you could connect like industry. Like I'm working with uh, a lovely woman who had an economics degree or has an economics degree, I should say, worked in finance, brilliant. And she was like, oof, I've had it. So she went and did a boot camp to do UX design. And when I first spoke to her, she was applying to all these companies and I'm looking at this. Okay. 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 And I said, how come you haven't applied to any FinTech companies? And she said, why I'm doing UX design. And I said, because you know all about finance and FinTech, you would be a better candidate than anyone else. Your industry experience counts and you could ask for more money because you can use all your years of experience because you already know the industry. So those types of connections, I think is the best way for you to make a pivot or a transition. I hope those two examples are, are helpful. Um, 
I could give more, but those are my two, I guess those are two best ones <laughs> to save no, time to go to another question. I hope that was helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we actually got a lot of questions that were people asking about stuff on LinkedIn. So let me know when we've expanded, you know, expounded it on your knowledge here. But um, mm -hmm. this person that asked, is the easy apply button on LinkedIn actually effective? It's fine. It's like any other ATS. It'll go in the inbox. So if the recruiter's company is paying for LinkedIn recruiter, they have other features. You know, I had it for a very long time. Um, it's basically instead of me going to like the main greenhouse folder, I have a separate LinkedIn one. Really the easy apply is really more of a B2B tool so that companies can track where their candidates are coming from. And it's a way for LinkedIn to sell their platform, their LinkedIn recruiter product to companies because they're like, listen, if you use ours and you post your jobs with us, you can track it and we'll show you that you'll get more candidates from us, right? So that's really the sell of it. Does it make it better or easier for you? That depends on if that recruiter relies on LinkedIn for it. If they prefer LinkedIn to scan profiles and resumes, then yeah. If you click the easy apply button before or after, I expect you to find an introduction. I expect you to ask someone. Ask someone for an introduction or referral or if, you really feel weird about that? Say, hey, I applied. I don't want to get lost in the inbox. Is there any way you can connect me with a recruiter so I can find out the status of the job if it's been a while? That's another ask. All right. So we have another question. Um, this person had asked, I've got a couple of notices from LinkedIn saying that the resume I've submitted has been reviewed. Are these notifications accurate or is it just a button that somebody ticks at, at some point? Uh... So I don't remember if it's a button that you actually click that says, I reviewed this resume. I think that's a trigger that means they opened up the file. But even if it was, it doesn't tell you how long the person spent looking at your resume. You know how many times I start looking at, a, I, I would start looking at a resume and then a meeting would happen, or I try to sneak it in five minutes before something else happened. And then, you know, a phone call came in or a Slack message or something else. So I don't know. I personally, I feel like these notifications are the same thing that like Facebook and everything else does to us. They, they want to like grab our attention and keep us engaged, but they don't really tell us anything yeah. to me, you know? So, All right. You looked at my resume. Well, do you like it or not? You know what I mean? I want to know if you want to interview, interview me or not, whether or not you looked at it, just, it's like a teaser of, Ooh, they looked at it, but we're not going to tell you if they liked it. Like to me, that's kind of rude Yeah. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> All right. So Daphne is asking, how do you not get discouraged seeing that 250 to 500 candidates are on a specific LinkedIn job posting? Now, Amanda is chiming in with her advice saying that um, if you're applying through Glassdoor or through their site, you wouldn't see that number, but it could be just as high or higher. So basically kind of train your eyes not to see it. Um, yeah. So if they, have that, if they have that many candidates, they are not managing their inbox. That's telling you that the recruiters are overwhelmed or whoever's in charge of managing that inbox, it, they're, they're not managing it well. You know, you shouldn't let more candidates get into an inbox than you can actually sift through. And if the team is overwhelmed, if my recruiters were overwhelmed, then we would pause the job. Like, there's no need to get that many applicants. You're never going to interview that many people. So pause it when you hit 50. And then once you cleanse those folks, then open it up again. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Are there companies that keep them open because they want to pull it into the, their own database? So then when their you know, sourcers are looking and 
then they're doing their own searches, it's possible. But I wouldn't be discouraged by it. I would just roll my eyes and be like, oh, Lord, help these people. Like, you are drowning and you are not keeping up. Like, the water is boiling over the edge of the pot. Turn the flame down. That's what that means. Because there's nothing they can actually do with that. What, what, do you, what am I going to do with 500 candidates? I wouldn't be able to do my job. I wouldn't have time to run interviews if I had to go through that many, um, that many profiles. If I saw a job with that many candidates, I mean, even if I saw a job with 100 applicants, I don't know, maybe I would apply, but I would definitely lean on people and I would put it in my message. I'd be like, I can imagine how overwhelmed your recruiting team is because you have over 100 applicants in the inbox. I'd love to help make your day easier. Here's my resume and my mini cover letter. Can you let me know the status of the job? I want to make sure I'm in the mix before you close it. You know, use it. These are like beautiful nuggets. They're absolutely amazing. (laughs) But don't take it personally. Remember too, it feels personal to us, like when we're on the job seeker side, but the folks on the other side, they don't know you yet. So it's not personal to them yet. It's not, it's transactional, right? And I know that that doesn't make it, it doesn't make it feel less personal. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make the rejection easier to take. But the reality of it is the, the, the swing, it, the system is just broken and it's set up that way. And that's the fault of it. It's not our fault, right? Before the recession, most people I knew never had to send a resume anywhere. They got jobs because a friend recommend them or referred them and they would just move from company to company. All of this swing where we had all of these candidates and this many jobs, that's 2008 right there. And that was when, that was my first formal job in recruiting at Robert Half, which was totally corporate at the creative group. I had to bring extra clothes so I could change in the bathroom because I could not walk into my creative uh, meetings in the suit that they wanted me to wear in Midtown. So I would change into the, ba- in the bathroom. But people were getting fired in those days, 10,000 at a clip, like, age, like thousands a day. And the way they tried to rebalance it was to rely on the systems because there weren't enough jobs for the number of people looking. And it's just a matter of, you know, it's kind of like the scales, they have to readjust. But 250 to 500, I wouldn't be discouraged. I'd be like, these people are crazy. That's ridiculous. Somebody should look at that and say, stop the job. Like, stop the insanity. What are you doing with 500 candidates? <laughs> Absolutely. So to go briefly back to one of the previous topics we had discussed, um, if Sita had written in the chat asking, what should you do if you're actually trying to escape your sector and don't really want to use your background to, you know, in that pivot? Um, her example is, I don't want to work in ed tech and have con- I have concerns that my recent portfolio only demonstrates that ed tech experience. Uh... It's very specific. Um, I would suggest, Obsida, that you book a free strategy session with me so I could take a closer look at it. There are things within, uh, there, are, there, are, there are skills within ed tech, though, that can carry into other places. Like that means you're used to dealing with people that can carry into customer service. You know, ed tech, I think, is more of an industry. So maybe it's an industry swing that you're trying to look at. If the work in your portfolio only demonstrates one thing, then you need more work in your portfolio. So whether that's doing a hackathon, whether it's just looking at any company and redoing what they do or making up a use case, it doesn't matter. Someone doesn't have to pay you for it to be work. So if you want to demonstrate what you can do in a different way, 
do it, make it a sample and add it to your portfolio. You know, sometimes we interview if you're a UX designer or there are other roles uh, or even as a recruiter where they ask you to do a project, do a sampling source of five candidates or, you know, do a sample use case. So make up your own and add it to your portfolio. You know, you have to be the neck that turns the head if you want to get there. So that would be my best advice. Um, but if you want something more specific than that, then I would say book a strategy session with me so I could take a closer look. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Ipsita. Um, okay, so moving on to another question. This person had written in saying, how can you replace the invitation to, quote, <laughs> be over a coffee in the age of COVID-19 when approaching a new connection? So we've talked a little bit about this, but can you expand on some yeah. of the, the options for what, how you, the, some of the connection options you might present to somebody that you're trying to, you know, pick their brain? Because I, if, if I hear one more email that says, can I pick your brain? I will pick yeah. my brain yeah. and chuck it out the window. There's a great post I follow. Um, I think it's called Working Girls Boss Club on Instagram. I follow a lot of women like that. And she said, you can pick my brain after you pay my invoice. And I really liked it, you know, because I struggle with that. And I, I do a lot of free sessions and I have to keep control of myself not to let it go for an hour, an hour and a half. You know, we have to kind of, we have to be accountable to ourselves, right? With, with the time that we allow for certain things. And I've heard of this thing before. People want to talk about having coffee. People want to talk about, can I have an informational call? And I do think it's wonderful, but I think in reality, most people don't have time. And even if they do, maybe someone with a full-time job has time to do one of these a week for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, because outside of their job, we all still need to have a life. And we all need to take care of ourselves because I think we work too much anyway. Like 40 hours a week came from Ford building cars. To me, it makes no sense for what we do. That's a whole other workshop that we could talk about. Um, instead of the coffee or the informational thing, I would just ask for what you want. Like, really, what do you want? Do you want to ask me? I'm curious about that company, Kelly. Can you tell me what it was like to work at the NFL? I don't want to take too much time on your calendar. I'm sure you're really busy. While I'd love to do a coffee chat, this is really what I wanted to know. If it's something that you can't write to me, maybe we could hop on a quick call. I would approach it that way. Exactly. Right? Just, just tell them what you want them to know. And you're also, think about it too, you're also giving people an opportunity. And this might sound a little off, not that I've never said anything that sounds off, but people like to help, they like to help other people. I mean, I built my whole business around it, but there's also an element of ego into it. You're also reaching out to someone as an expert. If you're reaching out to someone saying, hey, I noticed in your profile you made the transition from ed tech into widgets. I'm actually working on doing the same. I know, I'm sure I can, I know how busy you must be, but what I'd really love to know what is, what was the biggest connection you made of how you sold yourself from that experience to the other? If that's something you have time for, you know, a very brief call on, great, but maybe you could, if it's easier for you to, an for you to answer me this way, that would be good too. Obviously what I just said needs a little refinement to, you know, have it written in, in better grammar, but that's what I would do. Just ask for no. what you want. And that's such a good point too, because it's not, you know, when I say things like, I don't want to hear, can I pick your brain? It's not because I don't want to help people, right? Um, but it's, 
it's like if you if you were more specific then i can really accurately evaluate if i actually have time to jump on a call with you or if what you're going to ask me about like say we schedule that 20 minute call right it takes probably about 10 minutes of my time to make sure like check my schedule make sure everything's free make sure i decline other meetings and have my my settings set up we finally get on the call yeah you want to know about something that i have nothing to do with so then i have to direct you yeah. somewhere else so it might be a situation where they want to make sure that you're speaking to the right person or even that they can just gather the information that you want to know ahead of time. hundred percent. And if someone asks me for coffee, that means when I see the message, I then have to go into my calendar and look and think about when would I even be able to do it? And what am I thinking about here? And how long would that be? And think of it as like, don't waste your time because what if I couldn't talk to you for two weeks and I could have answered you in three sentences? What if I could have said, you know what? I'm not the best resource for that, but if let me connect you with with uh, with Jill, she'll be able to answer be able to answer that for you. Or I don't have a strong relationship with that person, so I wouldn't be able to do a good introduction. I'm sorry, I can't help you. Then you can move on. Or I don't really have a strong relationship with that person. I'll send the message. I don't know that they'll get back to me, but I would suggest trying to reach out to this person because they have a better relationship. You know, it, it's kind of like help us help you and it'll waste less of your time. Like try not to wait on people. I personally don't think that that's too aggressive. I really don't. All right. So this next question came in from the chat. Um, Ruth is asking, how can you make up for lack of experience if the job description wants five years <laughs> of industry experience and you just don't have it? So I'm going to include the link to your upcoming chat about how to convince the hiring manager in just a minute. Um, but um, what, what would you like to say to Ruth about that yeah. question? Oh, the convince the hiring manager we did already. The upcoming is referrals and introductions. Yeah, right, See, I got you. Thank you. All right. I will, I'll, I'll grab the link for it so you get it. So Ruth can rewatch it. Um, the truth is you can. And the truth is there's plenty of these jobs out there that are asking, like they're asking for a junior to have three years experience, which is absurd. Right. I saw a job description asking for like a diversity inclusion manager with 10 years experience. It hasn't been around that long. What are you talking about? So a lot of it is fluff. If you have 60% or more, go. Whatever's in your resume should be your strengths and what connects you to the job. Whatever you're missing, let them call you on an interview and find out then. Because even once you get to the interview, even if you don't get the job, you just added another contact. So as long as you don't offend someone, you send your thank you, and then you can ask them to introduce you to someone else in a different company. All's fair in the game. So I don't know. I mean, if you have one year experience and it calls for five, maybe it's pretty out of your league. If when you go on alorecollective.com, that free download I have for the six job search message templates, only one of them is if there's a job that you're a fit for, what to say. The other one is if the job is posted and it's not at your level, then what do you ask for? Basically what you're asking is, I'm really interested in the job. I have the foundation for the team, but this role is not at my level. Could you connect me to someone so I could get on your talent, pipe, uh, uh, your talent pipeline? So when the team expands, I could be considered. So there's different ways around that. And there's different outreach, but check out that download. It's free. Okay. So this next person, um, this next question came from Nandini and was actually seconded by Amanda herself, Amanda as well. Um, okay. If a recruiter, a recruiter speaks to you about a role that you feel is a really good fit for you, the recruiter promises to get back to you, but doesn't. If you follow up with the recruiter a couple of times but get no response, what should you do at that point? What's your advice on following up and actually getting feedback? Uh, 
So out of the six templates in that six job search message template, one of them is follow-ups. <laughs> and it has three to four, three or four versions of subject lines. Uh, so your follow-ups will be different whether you're dealing with an internal recruiter or a staffing agency recruiter. Agency recruiters need to know that you're available. That's the most important thing to them. I'm still available and I'm interested with your name. And every time you follow up, you go to the top of the inbox. An internal recruiter similarly needs to know you're still available, but they should be better at getting back to you. There's no magic trick to make them do it. You can remind them that you're actively interviewing and you don't want to lose this opportunity. So if they can get back to you, that would be great. If you happen to move through the passage and maybe you started with a recruiting coordinator, but then you spoke to a recruiter and the recruiter's not ask, answering you, email the recruiter, uh, the coordinator, or send a LinkedIn message to the coordinator. If you're on email with them and they're not answering email, send them a LinkedIn. They should all get back in good time with feedback, do they? No. Is it because some of them just don't? Yes. Is it because some of them are overwhelmed because their quotas and their metrics are too high? Yes. We can't do anything about that. We have to unfortunately keep them accountable. So when you set a follow-up, save it on your calendar as an event, have it repeat every three, four days, or when you speak to them, say, when should I follow up with you? Set the expectation. When should I follow up with you with an answer? And say, hey, even if you don't have an answer, just let me know if I'm still being considered, but I'll follow up with you. That's what I would do. All right. Um, and we had a couple of people with questions in the chat that wanted the links to the templates. So thank you, Amanda, for sending those. Um, I'm trying to dig around. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> I'm trying to dig back around in our previous events to find the chat that goes with those templates. So that way you know exactly like how Jill and Kelly recommend that you use them. So give me a couple minutes and I'll find it. They can find um, it on uh, Allura Collective blog also. When you go to the blog page of Allura Collective, you'll see the blog post and the event post. The event post of the same title links to Power to Fly's website where you can rewatch the event. So it's all in one. You. Thank you. No thank you, problem. thank you. Yeah, our dev team changed how our search works. So it keeps popping me into upcoming events instead of previous. Nope, don't um, worry about it. Okay. So let's see, Leslie had asked, how do you understand proper location demands or limitations when applying to remote positions? And I feel like this is more of a, a dicey question now in like the weird, we're not back in March, right? It's not like COVID and you know for a fact everything's gonna be remote for a little while now. We're in that weird like bubble where sometimes people think they might be needing to apply for an in-office job or if this is like a remote permanent job or just like temporary remote job. Yeah, personally, I, I mean, again, this is only my opinion. I really don't care what a company says. Nobody knows when this is going to lift and nobody knows what's going to happen. If you're interested in the company and the job, go after it. If they say we plan on having people relocating or being in the office in January, you can say, yeah, I'm open to that. Do we know if that's going to happen? No. But your next question would be, if that is the timing of it, of it happening, what is your reloca relocation package look like? That's how I would do that. I would also... You know, if you're, if you're interested in relocating or you purposely and, and really do want to work remotely, I would take your location off your resume. Actually, I don't even put locations on resumes anymore anyway, because the point of the resume is to get the call. So, you know, why have them say, oh, we're in California, they're in Texas. I don't know if we have a relocation package, so I'm just not going to call. 
Get the call. Can I, can, I ask more, can I ask more to that? Actually, is my question, Leslie, here. Um, sure. So two pieces. So one of it being what if you are abroad? And then two, I know with a lot of places, they'll say like remote, yet they'll still add a location. I don't understand why. And I don't understand sometimes where I'm like a requisition type aspect. Like, do they need it to be within okay. a time zone or I don't know, something of Got the it. nature. So, Are you abroad? Yes. Where are you? Spain. Oh, I'm so jealous. I miss my friends in Amsterdam and now one's in Berlin and one's <laughs> going to Dublin and I want to go to Barcelona and everywhere else. So I'm so jealous. Come, that's where I am. Um, come, come. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So uh, when, they, when they say remote and then they attach a location or a time zone, they want, some of them are saying they'll do remote as long as someone is living within that time zone, which is not essentially what remote work means. It's just, it's just how these companies are handling it. Like, for example, my friend Becca is an American expat in Switzerland. She recruits for Chituka and they hire remotely, but they're hiring in like LATAM and EMEA and APAC, but they're not hiring from the U.S. because our salaries are twice as much. It's not a time zone issue. It's that kind of an issue. So it could be the comp range or it could be the, um, the crossover of the time zones. With that said, I think the crossover of time zones is ridiculous. I believe in the base camp version where if you have crossover for four hours a day, you're going to be fine. Um, I read his books, the CEO of base camp uh, remote and the other one. I also believe that ASAP is poison and I hate it. So it's no longer part of my life because nobody's dying. So it's not ASAP uh, unless someone's dying. Um, but that's what they're, that's what they mean when they say it's remote and then they put a location or a time zone. Uh, they either want someone available throughout that time zone, which I think is fine. If somebody wants to get up at 5 a.m. where they are just to cover the, you know, cover what they asked for, I think that's the candidate's business. I don't have a problem with that. Some companies still have their, I call it trickle-down anxiety of needing to control, you know, just like the whole, how could we be remote? How could we have offices? We have to be an open office so everyone can connect. No, it's so you could see everybody. Um, so that's what those, uh, that's what those two things do. Look at Tatuka. If you want an intro to Becca, I'll connect you. I don't know what you do, but we could talk about that. And I work with a Thank few you. other expats, um, a couple that are abroad, and I actually work with two or three that have come back to the States. So if you have to get into, or when you're at the point of getting into, I just came home and nothing feels like home, ping me because I'll explain to you that it's not you, but we all go through it when we come back. It's a weird back and forth trend, but I can't wait to get out of here. So I'll see you with my passport as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You got it. Excellent. Okay. Um, so we've got, let's see, we've got time for a couple more questions. We've got about four minutes left here. Um, let's see. This question was asked quite a lot, actually. Let me try and pull this up. Um, so this person had written in saying, what questions can you ask yourself to help understand what industry might be a good fit for you? Um, that's a really good question, actually. I feel like that's a good therapist question, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I've worked across different industries. I was in creative and then did recruiting for creative and marketing and then got into technology and did recruiting for technology across the US and then globally, um, different companies like from NFL to booking.com, can't get much different than that. 
for me, I don't, I don't think I tie as much to industry as I tie to like my, the, a day in my life. And a lot of times when I work with folks that are trying to figure out what to do next, you know, like they're open to everything. I try to figure out what a day in their life, they, what they want it to look like or what they don't want. So you can kind of reverse engineer how to figure out what, you know, what you might want to do. Like, for example, when I came back, it wasn't just that I wanted to work for myself uh, in the whole Allura Collective thing. It wasn't just that I miss my friends dearly and I want to be able to work from anywhere. You know, my mom's on the East Coast. My friends are in different countries. Like, it's enough already. Um, it was more of really having to think about when do I, like, when do I feel good? When do I feel, maybe not so much happy, because for me, happy is more of a momentary thing, but when do I feel satisfied? You know, I felt satisfied when I was in university and I was a nanny and I taught in a preschool and the kid that I worked with for two weeks, I looked over and they were tying their shoe and I was nowhere near them when they did it, but I taught them how to do it for a couple of weeks. I felt satisfied, you know, making lineups for my softball team or being a setter in volleyball and helping everyone else you know, finish the play and close the deal. I felt satisfied helping someone negotiate to get a different job and get a new salary. I really felt satisfied when I had a great candidate and they got rejected. And then I took time after work to help them. And that's why I do things like this with Power to Fly. That's why I offer free strategy sessions. That feeds me. It makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. So if there's something that makes you feel like you're, you're, it sounds cheesy and I don't, I'm not talking about finding your truth. I don't know about that stuff and the life coach things. I'm a New Yorker, so it doesn't tag with me. But, you know, some of us have a dream or something that we love. But for me, it's like, when do I really feel good? And I feel good when I'm doing this. You know, I feel good when someone like Leslie can ask me that question and I'm like, oh my God, that's the mystery because I didn't know that answer either before. So I don't know, you know, if there's something that interests you that you already do for free, because throughout my career, I was already doing coaching like this for free, you know? And I'm like, Ooh, but what if I could do that all the time? And then I was like, Ugh. then I have to figure out taxes and how to be a business owner. But I'm like, you know what? It's worth it because I just really like doing it. So that's what I would go with. You know, if it's something you're into, like my first job in creative services, my boss said to me, you know, you're great in sales. You are going to work your tail off. So make sure it's something you like. So I went home and I wrote down the name of every record company on, uh, from all my CDs. So I was like, if I'm going to work in an industry, it's got to be something I'm into, something that I enjoy, something that I, you know, that I connect with, that I align with. So I, I hope there's something like that for you and you can find it. And, and if not, you want to chat about it, book a session and we'll chat about it. Absolutely. Um, if you are interested in doing kind of more of the like soul searching aspect, we have tons of past chats on this about, you know, how you can really like um, help identify what your personal skill sets are, what your interests are. So please, please, please go ahead and take a look at our past chats. If you have any further questions on this, you can always write to our help desk inbox. It's hi, just hi, at powertofly.com. Um, last thing I'm going to share with you guys, I put another link in the chat so you can connect with um, Kelly either at, on LinkedIn or her, the Allura Collective email as, or uh, Allura Collective LinkedIn page as well so that we can check that out. I'm also sending you a link to um, check out some of our upcoming virtual events. After, today, after this session's over, we are done um, broadcasting for today. However, um, we've got tomorrow afternoon, we've got a chat on breaking into the natural language processing field. 
Um, Friday morning, we're doing office hours uh, about if startup life is right for you and how to know. And then, uh, oh, it's going to be really good. Amy Carlotto is the, um, is the guest speaker on that. She's one of our sales team members. She's awesome. She's worked at like four or five different startups. Excellent. Then starting on Monday, the 12th, we've got an 1130 office hour session on resumes that stick. And it's how to like set yourself apart from the rest of the pack with your resume. Then we've also got from awareness to reinforcement through conscious change, the power of no, which is a spiritual guide to your season of yes. And oh, then, no is a complete yeah. sentence, everybody. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Um, that one I'm really excited <laughs> for. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm not hosting that, but I'm going to come in and watch it anyway. And I then there's that. another one on Tuesday about if you can see it, you can be it. And it's how to amplify women's voices through the platform. And um, on October 22nd, mm -hmm. I'm doing another one and we're going to break down referrals and introductions, who, what, where, when, who to ask, like how to ask. So we're going to go through the difference between referrals and introductions, which will be like a next level to some of the things we talked about today. Yeah. So and if I'll you're around, join us or That's just sign up and you'll get the recording. Exactly. So that one's going to be on the 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, and I'll be back to host that as well. So I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today and spending your, your afternoon with us and sharing your, your wisdom and knowledge. Thank you, Meg. Um, and thank you so much to all of our participants, everybody that submitted questions before the chat, as well as everybody that submitted great questions, comments, helping you guys helping each other out in the chat was like, it's really amazing. It's one of my favorite parts of this job. Um, so thank yeah. you so much for that. Like I said, please feel free to connect with either Kelly or myself on LinkedIn if you'd like. I will be getting to a lot of my LinkedIn inbox next week, so apologies. Don't worry, worry about getting back to you in three days. I will honor everybody's connections. Um, and yeah, just super excited to see more of you on upcoming chat and words. So super excited to have you join us later, and hopefully you'll start joining us starting tomorrow. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.